old time tattooists, they all used to try their needles out on themselves, mm -hmm. colours on themselves, you know. Yeah. We're all human and we've all got thoughts in that. I know old timers, yeah. and somebody opened 20 miles away from them, they yeah. go turn up there, you fucking opened on my doorstep. A guy came to me the other week and he said, I want to sleep, I want to start with my hand. And I just said, if you went to a tailor's to get a suit made, would you start with a glove? No, you fucking wouldn't. Where do we go with tattooing from here? My name is Steph Bastian. In my 10 years on the road, I've met many unique characters in the tattoo business, and they all have one thing in common, incredible stories. Stories of past times, personal growth, priceless experience, and of course, bizarre happenings. I want to share those stories with you. This is Tattoo Tales. Today, we have as our guest, Lal Hardy. He's been tattooing for longer than I've been alive. He's been corresponding with Ed Hardy back in the 80s. He lived through the rise of punk in London and he has the most amazing stories. Mum's family, one on my dad's side of the family. And um, they traveled to Hong Kong and around the world. Uh, my great grandfather, I mean, he, he was 97 years old when he died. He'd fought in the First World War, but he was tattooed when he was 12 years old. Wow. He only had the initials JS. His name wow. was Jack Shepherd. But he had those uh, on his wrist. And you know, funny enough, I didn't even see them till I'd got a few tattoos. They were so old and faded. And he, he, apparently, when he was a young boy, he was a bit of a bad lad and he left home very young. He used to live under a bridge with this sort of gang of guys, um, you know, and then he went off to fight in the war. But he just, he still had the tattoo, only the one. Um, and then what really captured my interest in tattooing was, I think, uh, in the mid-1970s, there was a big teddy boy revival. Um, my dad had been a teddy boy, and my dad was a bit of a bad boy as well. You know, he'd been in prison and that. And as young people are sometimes our role models, yeah, yeah. you know, if they're a little bit of a rebellious one, you know, we, we see those as a role model rather than the goody two-shoes one. It shapes your young mind. And I was mad on rock and roll music. In the house where I lived, in the we used to have in England what we called a back room, the best room. It was only used when there was like Christmas or a, a family function or a wedding. And this is the 70s, yeah? yeah? Yeah. And in the back room, there was an old record player, radiogram, they called them. And my auntie had lived in America in the 1950s and sent over all rock and roll records. So as a little kid, I used to be fascinated by the record player. I'd play rock and roll. I loved rock and roll music. And then, as I said, in the mid-1970s, there started to become a revival of the teddy boy movement yeah. of the 1950s. And at the top of the road here was a pub where all the teddy boys used to go and the bands would play. So I started to, even when I was at school, start to dress like a teddy boy, started to go to gigs, try and get into them, you know, when you're 14, 15. You will see the booming all over London in that Everywhere, time? Everywhere, yeah. you know. I mean, Lond London really is fucked now for the music scene. Every... When I was a kid, there were pubs everywhere. All the pubs are closing down. Everything changes. Nothing is, is rigid in society, you know. And as I get older, I'm seeing how London's changing, you know. Yep. But it changed for the people before, and it will change for the people in the, in the future. But back in the day, every pub had a music room in it. Someone with a piano, they could play piano. So it was very easy to go out and find pubs where there was rock and roll music. Yep. So 
I started to go to these events and then there were huge big gatherings of the Teddy Boys like on traditional bank holiday Monday when everyone is off work. Everyone would go to the seaside. You know, if you've seen the film Quadrophenia, you see the mods and rockers fighting down in Brighton. Yeah. So it used to be a big thing for people to go to these places. So a lot of the Teddy Boys were tattooed. A lot of them were tattooed. And I kind of don't think I had a real intention of being tattooed. Uh, a friend of mine called uh, Tony Gorbitz, he was tattooed. He was a teddy boy. He was at school with me. And I kind of kept looking at them and thinking, you know what, they are pretty cool. And then there was two other kids, I remember, Kevin Bickers and Jimmy Willis. I never and you were how old? Uh, 14, 15. Okay. They were tattooed as well, yeah. and it was kind of crazy, you know. Yeah. So I started to draw tattoos on people at school with felt tip mm. pens, and I felt I had a bit of kudos once because the physical instructor teacher said to me, "Have you been tattooing people?" So he <laughs> must have thought they were real. So yeah. anyway, as it goes, I, I kind of uh, put it bit into the back of my mind to be tattooed. I, I wasn't sure if I wanted one, and then I went to see Ben Gunn. Ben Gunn was a tattoo artist who worked in a place called Chingford, mm -hmm. which is just out of just out of London. Anyway, Ben Ben Gunn had a very easy style, very very easy style of tattooing. He was a very very uh, good tattooist until later life when alcohol took over. Mm -hmm. But prior to that, what was amazing with Ben's place was that he tattooed at his house. Okay. So you used to have to go and wait at a bus stop opposite his house until 11 o'clock at night in the morning in the morning so you'd be waiting so there'd be all these people waiting for this bus every bus would stop no one would get on the bus <laughs> <laughs> at 11 o'clock he used to open the door yeah and the first 10 people that could run across the road and get into his house got tattooed 10 only yeah like a sprint like yeah. a proper my friend swears that he was there he said he saw a kid run get hit by a car not badly hurt, mm. get up and get hit by a car coming the other way. I don't know if that's true or not, yeah. but anyway. So I went with Tony Gorbitz to Ben's to see what the, what it was about. I'd never been in a tattoo studio before. Yeah. And we went up into this little room and Ben got out these little porcelain pots that he laid out and they had color in them. He squirted what I now know to be Listerine into mm -hmm. them and he had a rotary machine with a little bent needle bar on it in an L shape that he used as a mixer. So that was the colours for the day and every single person was having them same colours. With the same colours. Yeah. yeah. He then used rotary machines but since Ben's died and I spoke to a few other people, some people were telling me he was quite a clever guy. He worked out a way of filling the tube with wax. Okay. And then pushing the needle bar through it so the needle ran true. If you imagine, you know, wax is soft, the needle bar goes through it, so it's running true when it's working. So he used the same machine for everyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he had a kind of a little table and it had a some kind of bowl in it with I don't know if it was an ultrasonic or if it was a heating element, but it used to bubble away like mm. a tar pit and you'd wash the needles out in that but it didn't change the water, you and know. It's it. so so primitive. Mm. But of the tattooists at that time in London, Cash Cooper, Ben Gunn, um, Jock, in this area, mm. 
Ben was the best. You know, lots of people went there. The only thing with Ben was he used to tell terrible jokes. Okay. One of his favourite ones was to say, uh, "Oh, my friend got burnt yesterday," and then you you wouldn't know what to say. Yeah. And he he'd say, "My friend got burnt yesterday," oh. and you're meant to say, "Badly." Yeah. And he goes, "Badly." They don't fuck around at the crematorium. Oh, dude. You know, he always wanted them yeah, guys. Yeah. Whatever tattoo you wanted, he wanted to do something different. <laughs> Hmm. Wherever you wanted it, he only wanted to do it on the bottom of your arm. Okay. He tattooed the same designs, these panthers, crawling panthers, panthers heads, a little cherub, a heart, a rose, a swallow, instantly recognisable. Everyone knew Ben Gunn, everyone. Yeah. Great name, pirate name. He even tattooed Adam from Adam and the Ants, oh, the man. pure sex tattoo. Yeah. How old was he at the time? Uh, you, you know what? It's really hard to say because when you're young, everyone yeah. looks old. Yeah, yeah. I would think he was probably in his 30s or 40s. Yeah. So within London at that time, you didn't travel out too much, you know? So for North London, we had Ben Gunn in Chingford, which is actually East London. We had Jock in King's Cross, which is West London. We had Cash Cooper in Soho Market, which was West. Um, in Woolwich was Jack Ringo. Uh, there was a guy called Harry Battle in Prade Street in Paddington. There was Jack Zeke in Hayes in Middlesex, George Bone. Um, and then down the road from here, a tattooist opened in Wood Green called Dave Cash. Mm -hmm. Dave Cash was a teddy boy. He was an Australian, but he lived in London. He was a bit of a crazy guy, a bit of a fighter. Mm. Um, and I went to this pub called the Fishmonger's Arms and he put all these business cards on tables in there. And that's when suddenly in my mind I decided I wanted a tattoo done. Okay. I really wanted to get one done. So my friend Tony Gorbitz again, he said, let's go to, uh, go to Cash's. So we went down there, but I changed my mind again. I didn't really want a tattoo now. Mm -hmm. But he got tattooed, you know. It was in this tiny, tiny little sort of... I, I went back there the other week to see what it is. It's a tiny garage for a car now. But yeah. back then it was a studio. Anyway, the more I thought about it, a design floated up in my mind that I'd seen in there. It was a panther's head with a dagger through it. Okay. And I just became obsessed. I had to get this tattoo done. So February the 8th, 1976. You were 14, 15? I was 17. 17. Then. Yeah, February the 8th, 1976, I'm there at his shop. And he said, I can't tattoo you because you're underage. Mm. But Tony Gorbett said, oh, I'm his brother, I signed to say he's the right age. Yeah. So they put this tattoo on me. And you still have it? Yeah, it's a little bit covered up part of it, yeah. which I regret. Yeah. But one of the funny stories about it is, Dave Cash in the end, he, he's passed away as well. And I really fucking wanted to find this design. I looked everywhere, you know, there's a million and one panthers with daggers through them, you know? And then suddenly, a couple of years ago, Jack Zeke's son, Sean Zeke, Jack Zeke was a very famous tattooist from West London. He sent me uh, a screenshot of the design. The same design? Yeah, it was drawn by Cash Cooper. And Cash Cooper was, you know, an alcoholic, but at one point he was doing some really good drawings, tattoo drawings. So I actually got the picture of it now, which is, which was amazing. But that was the beginning of getting my first tattoo done from Dave Cash in Wood Green and the Teddy Boy scene. Um, 
there were other tattooists that people go to. There was a guy called Lenny Horsler, known as the Lone Wolf in Luton. Uh, if you ever see any pictures of this guy, without a doubt, the coolest looking tattooist that ever, ever lived. There's okay. some fantastic pictures of him. Yeah. Really fantastic. Um, because now you, you've got to remember, for anyone listening to this, if I mean, I'm 60 years old, so for anyone who's 20, 25, imagine your life with no iPad, mm. no iPhone, no Android, no internet, yeah. just to no get references. a little bit of an idea of how it was back then. Yeah. Um, so, you know, Dave Cash tattooed a teddy boy on me and he got really badly infected. And I went back to see him and he was a really confrontational man, you know. And he said, yeah, you fucking picked it. I'm not, re you've got to pay to have this recolored. So mm -hmm. I said, okay, how much would it be? And knowing that it's his fault, he infected my arm. Yeah. And it, it was the same price as the tattoo that I'd already paid for. So I said, oh, I'll think about it. That was me finished with him. Yeah. Anyway, there's a couple of funny stories about Dave Cash. One is that when I started tattooing, he came up to me in a pub and he just said, listen, you're a fucking scratcher. I, I, man, I was so scared of this guy that in my nervous state, I just went, yeah, well, you know, you're a big man to come and, mm. you know, say that to me. Mm. And he must have thought, this fucking guy's fronted me out. Inside, I was shaking all over, yeah, yeah. you know. And then he started to get a few of his mates there. And then more and more of my mates came in in this pub. It was like the Mexican standoff. Yeah. And then I didn't see him for for years and years, you know. And then one night I went to a party that was in the street where his shop was, and there was a load of us out the front, and he suddenly come flying out the shop. It was really late at night. He must have been sleeping in there. And there was a girl next to me. I just grabbed her, started kissing her. I thought, I don't want him to fucking yeah, see it's yeah, me because yeah. he'll think I'm doing something. So the last time I saw him was at a dog show in a place called Peterborough, and then I heard that he had a heart attack and died. Mm. Um, then I started to get tattooed by another guy called Terry Oldham. He worked in East London and I was going to college at the time on a day release. I worked for the National Coal Board at the time in London. And uh, I went to my first ever college course and just thought, you know what, this isn't for me. So I just never, got, I never went, but I was still being paid to go there by the company. Okay. <laughs> so, so every Tuesday I'd go and get a tattoo instead of going to college. With their money. And then when it came to take the exam, I just had to leave the job because I would have known. Awesome. You know? Anyway, with Terry, he tattooed out of a place called Cat Hall Road and he tattooed out of his flat in his bedroom. And it was cool going over there. And then one day I started to take all my mates there and there. One day I went there and he said, um, two of your mates were here today. He said, and they fucking stole my wallet. He oh. said, 100% stole my wallet. He said, okay. it must have fell out of my pocket. Yeah. When I went for a piss, they've taken it. I mm. fucking know they've taken it. He said, if you can get all my money back, I'll give you a tattoo machine. Okay. He knew that I wanted to be a tattooist yeah. so bad. So I come to the... Later on, I'm going to show you exactly where this incident happened because we're going to walk past it. But I didn't have a car in them days. Everything was by fucking bus, you can imagine. So yeah. miles away. So I get the bus all the way to this pub. The two guys are in there drinking. Yeah. I went, hey, listen, fucking this guy knows that you stole his wallet. He's told me to come and get it back for him. Otherwise, he's coming more banded. Mm. So they were like, oh, shit, we've drunk some of the money. I mm. said, fucking give me his wallet and everything else. 
So then I have to take the bus all the way back there. He gives me this old tattoo machine, right? It's made from a doorbell, really primitive. Anyway, now it's in my, my mind that I want to do a tattoo, you know? Imagine what it took back then to get a little foot in the door, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so compared to now. Now I've got a tattoo machine, nothing yeah. else, no knowledge, nothing. It's got a needle in it, Okay. an old machine, brass tube on it. So this is so unbelievable because you're the only person who's ever seen this, right? This room that we're sitting in, mm -hmm. this was my grandmother's house. I lived here. Right there where the fireplace is, is where I've done my first ever tattoo. Whoa. There, on an Italian guy called Giulio. Yeah. And... Those Italians. So what happened was, I got a bottle of Indian ink. I'd seen a Transformer, but I didn't know anything about them. You know, mm. we, back, People got to understand, back in the day, tattoos were very guarded about everything. You mm. know? You could, nowadays, you see people with sponsorships. You see the names on everything. Everyone would peel labels off. They put fake labels mm. on, you know. Mm. So... When people came, why didn't you know what a transformer was or a power pack? Fucking nobody knew anything. So I got an old train set one. I thought, that must be it. I put the wires onto it, put it on the machine, but I didn't switch it on at the plug. The guy that stole the wallet was around here with me as well by this time. So Julio's here, Scotty's there. So I'm thinking to myself, fucking hell, man, maybe I'm going to get electric shock from this machine and die. <laughs> so I said to Scotty, pick the machine up, and then I turn the electric on, you know. But it was just going, tch, 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 really hardly moving. Okay. Anyway. And then what? We scratched this dagger onto this guy's arm, the poor fucker. Julio. Julio, poor Julio, yeah. It's funny how you always remember your first. It was like, so yeah. then I got a little bit more of the bit between my teeth. An Easy Rider magazine had started coming out, American Biker magazine. Mm -hmm. That started to have adverts in it for S&W tattooing, which was uh, Stanley and Walter Moscovich in America. Mm -hmm. But it also had adverts for Spalding and Rogers. Yeah. Now, to try and order stuff from America back in them days, you know, who knew what was fucking happening? You know, we're, we're, we're kids who lived in London, you know. We're, as we said, no internet, nothing. But it was primitive times in a lot of respects. So somebody said to me, there's a kid who's tattooing up the road here in Barnet called Mark Lawrence. So I was like, okay, I want to get a meeting with this guy. So we, we spoke on the phone and I said to him, do you get your equipment from America or England? Mm -hmm. He said, I'll get it from England. I said, okay, cool. He said, well, I get mine from America. Now I'm going to tell you something. I didn't have any equipment, but I had business cards made up with my name on, oh. my fake name, called myself Johnny Reb, because yeah. I was into the rocking music. Yeah. So I met this guy, and we exchanged a bit of paper like two spies. He gave me the address of a company here, I mm -hmm. gave him the address of Spalding and Rogers. The company whose address he gave me was called Ultra Tattoo Supplies. They were in Bradford, in Yorkshire, in England. And apparently their, their place was in the back of a sex shop. Hmm. You know, but anyway, I managed to get a catalogue from them. What year is now? Uh, probably 1977, mm -hmm. 78. So I still got all the catalogues, I, you know, I keep everything. So I got this catalogue, opened it, it was a full colour catalogue. It was just like, wow, this is unbelievable, this is where you get the stuff from. So I ordered all this stuff from Ultra. Mm -hmm. It turned out no needles. Okay. So. 
I've already got someone to come to my house to get tattooed the day that he's there. So what did you get? I just sellotaped a fucking sewing needle onto a needle bar mm. and tattooed my mate on his leg. How did that go? Badly. Um, but that was the beginning, you know, yeah. it was a little bit. Yeah, figuring it was, out. It was easier to get stuff in England. So I was doing a few tattoos. I didn't know much about colour, how to mix it. So I was, first of all, I just started doing outlines on people tattooing out of, out of a, a flat that I was living in. Funny enough, owned by Italian people. So gradually, a few more people come in, a few more. Then I started to work as a dustman, you know, mm-hmm. and I used to tattoo a few of the dustmen after they finished work on a Friday when they got their wages. Now, my place I was working was called Beaconsfield Road. It's famous around here now because, you know, everyone used to come to the tattooist who worked out of the little flat. Yeah. Um, I then end, ended up that I got tattooed by Tony Gorbitz, the guy I mentioned before. He'd managed to get some tattoo stuff, which came from a guy called Tony Lynx. In, he used to be in Birmingham. He's, okay. he's in Devon now in, in England. And he's been around for ever selling equipment. But this guy tattooed my leg. Fuck, man, it was unbelievable. So bright colour. I still got it, I'll show you in a while, on my leg. From 1978, really bright colours. So this guy, he said, Tony, he said to me, listen, I've got to go, go out. Can I leave all my tattooing stuff at your house mm-hmm. and I'll pick it up tomorrow? I was like, of course you can. As soon as he left, I fucking ran all the way to the pub. I went, who wants a free tattoo? So all these guys come back. So then I start tattooing these guys then matey comes back to my house but okay. we can't let him in because yeah. I'm using his tattooing equipment yeah. i got to try and remember where everything went in the case and that so what would have you done if you figured out you were using uh, this uh, no, he wouldn't have done anything bad but it was just embarrassing yeah, you know yeah. so anyway long story short so I had the ultra equipment now this guy's got better equipment so it ended up that he got married and his wife didn't want him to be a tattooist. Okay. Now, in between him giving up tattooing, him and his brother sold me a few designs that came from yet another supplier who was an old gypsy called Ted Boswell. Hmm. He worked in Northampton in England. He was a lovely old boy. His stuff wasn't very good, you know, but he was such a, such a nice guy. And one of the lovely things, I was going through my old stuff the other day, when I started to do Dunstable Tattoo Expo, all the big suppliers were there, you know, Mickey mm-hmm. Sharps and the guys that were really making a big name in it. And old Ted, he was a, just a one-man business. He couldn't afford the, the stall, you know. Yeah. And uh, I, I give it to him for nothing. You know, I used to say, don't tell the others. Okay. You know? And I found a letter from him that, the other day that just said, you know, thank you so much, really kind, and a little packet of pink. I never <laughs> even opened it, it's still in the packet. So by then I'd got a few bits of of equipment. Then in September 1978, I was in a nightclub in London and ended up having a fight in there and it just went a little bit too crazy. And uh, I ended up fucking, man, you know, when you're a kid and you see fights on telly and people are smashing each other with bottles and glasses, and it just breaks and they shake their heads and mm. stand up. It's not really like that when a proper fight happens, you know. So as a result of this fucking terrible evening, my friend who was with me took a glass full in his face. Uh, 
I got fucking stabbed in the neck, just missed my artery. Um, I got a severed tendon in my hand, which meant I couldn't use, use my hand. Um, so I did an operation to try and repair it. It was a fucking really bad time, really bad time. And then I thought, that's it, you know, my tattoo career's finished now because mm -hmm. in the rehabilitation, they snapped the tendon again. <sighs> so when you look at my hand, this finger doesn't bend properly. So I had a lot of time to kill, just going to hospital every day for therapy and then just trying to find things to do. And one day I just thought, you know what, I'm gonna go and see Jock in King's Cross. Everyone, yep. everyone used to call him the butcher. So, you know, this, this guy um, is a really bad tattooist in there. Anyway, I went to see him and he wasn't there. There was another guy there. Okay. And uh, I said, oh, is Jock here, are you Jock? And he was like, no, no, he's not here. And somebody told me he was in prison for receiving stolen goods. I don't know. So I didn't even really stay. The only thing I remember, it's so mad the things you remember about life. There was a Confederate flag on the wall, a rebel flag, hmm. tattoo design. But it was coloured in wrong. And I thought, wow, there's, you know, there's a whole sheet of designs. They've coloured that in wrong. That's a really bad mistake to make. you know. And it, I can remember it was in a frame. I can remember exactly where it was in the shop. Anyway, I left. And then winter came, and one day I thought, yeah, I want to go back and see if that Jock's there. And in a mad, mad way, this is so crazy, Jock's tattooing, he did these swallows, they were always out of shape, but suddenly I found that I really kind of thought the aesthetic of them was good. Mm -hmm. I thought, maybe, just maybe, I'm going to get a tattoo from Jock. Because okay. it was distinct, it was different. Yeah, anyway, I, I went there one day, and Jock's shop was on Pentonville Road in King's Cross. King's Cross area of London in the 1970s, lots of Scottish people lived there because St Pancras, King's Cross, the two train stations are where the people come down from the north and from mm. Scotland. Mm. There's a lot of drugs, a lot of alcoholism, a lot of violence and a lot of prostitution. King's Cross. Yeah, really rough area, really fucking rough area. Anyway, uh, when you went to Jocks, you turned off of Pentonville Road for anyone who's there now, if you go to Five Guys Restaurant, Hamburger Bar, the side of it, where the deliveries go in, that's where Jock's shop was. So, you used to walk down a corridor, and then you could see a door with a glass window with bars on it, but beyond the glass, you could see a mirror. And on the mirror, you could see Jock. So he had this set up with an electric door, so he could see he was walking down. If he wanted to let you in, he'd press a okay. buzzer to let you in. Yeah. Anyway, I went in there, there's this tiny, tiny little shop. And I can remember now, I walked along the corridor, there was a sign on the door that said, if you enter here, expect to be treated. Oh no, it said, ladies, if you enter here, expect to be treated with the same disrespect I give my male customers. Okay. So already, you know, that's kind of cool. <laughs> we got in there. Turned in, walked in, and there was just like a little thin waiting room, and then set back off of it was a tiny little offset room where Jock sat. He was a very, very big man. So the walls were covered in designs, they're all covered in nicotine, because in those days everyone smoked in a tattoo mm. studio, the mm. tattooists, the customers, you know, they were all brown and old. There was a little bench seats there, but more mad was there was a, what we call a paraffin heater. I don't know if you know what paraffin is, it's a, it's a it's like a wax, like a like, like, like candle stuff. Yeah, yeah, kind of like yeah. petrol. It's a fuel, you know. Yeah. So they used to have these heaters with a, a what they call a wick, and you light the wick, and the paraffin soaks into it, and it heats the room. 
man, if that had got kicked over, it would have set the place on fire. He'd never have got out. But that wasn't the maddest thing. There was a cat litter tray and loads of kittens in the shop. So I'm in this shop. There's the smell of paraffin, the smell of cat shit, the smell of disinfectant. <laughs> right? There was a totem pole up one end of the shop. And then where Jock was, where he was sitting, he was wedged into the corner and he had like a, a flap that went down in front of him where he leant on to tattoo the people. Anyway, he was talking to me and he asked me what I'd done to my arm. Mm. It was in a sling and bandaged up. I said, oh, you know, I used to do a bit of tattooing, but I got in a fight. And, uh, and he goes, well, you know what? If you can tattoo again, you can work here. Can you imagine that? I'd only been tattooing out my kitchen. Even though it was a pretty much of a not a great shot suddenly it was like wow so now I've got the determination mm -hmm. to anyway, get better yeah I go in there I'm out the sling and Jock goes yeah sit in the chair I'm like what he goes yeah sit in the chair he goes tattoo this woman I'm going out I'm like what there's this prostitute she's really drunk mm. and she wants a rose on her arm now of course I've given it Billy Big Bollocks making out I'm a tattooist mm. and but I'm just a young kid with hardly any experience. So I said to Jock, Where, where's the stencils? He goes, man, you just fucking do a rose freehand. You don't need a stencil for it. Oh, Can you imagine no pressure. So he fucks off out. I tattoo this. I always tell everyone, it must have just looked like a cabbage on this fucking poor woman. She's so drunk. She's going to me, I love you, babe. I love the tattoo. Yeah. And, uh, you know, hardened, hardened street worker from there. Then she goes, can you do a skull on the other arm? Oh, I was like, oh no, please. I mean, nowadays I can fucking draw a skull freehand on someone, yeah, but yeah. then it was like, it looked like a light bulb. Did you do it? Yeah. So then I'm just thinking, I, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be here. Anyway, she never came back. You know, Jock, Jock was, was fine. He came yeah, back, yeah. got his money. So he said, what we'd do is, he goes, you come down on a Saturday, I'll do the outlines, you colour them in. So mm -hmm. he used to tattoo the people, turn the chair around, push yeah. it to me, I'd yeah. colour them in. And I met Felix Lou there. Felix Lou learnt from Jock. Can you imagine? Whoa. Felix Lou? Mm. Wow. I thought he was the craziest old hippie I'd ever met. He was talking to me, telling me what he wanted to do pictures of a skull with syringes coming out the eye, cut an orange in half, look at the segments and all mm. that. Now I'm a, I'm a little teddy boy type guy. He's a hippie, you know. But I'm just so thankful. And I went to Switzerland a little bit before Felix passed mm. to see him. And I just, in my own mad little world, I, I love the Lou family. But it was just lovely to think that I met him in London when he started his career and was able to in a nice way say goodbye yeah towards the end so yeah so I spent a bit of time at jocks and I was also tattooing out my house by then so backwards and forwards plus working you know on the dust so mm -hmm. pretty mad then I was up the road from my house and this kid had an eagle on his arm with an Italian flag you see in a thing here there's a lot of Italian connections with me this kid called Rocco. I'm like, wow, you got a tattoo done? He goes, yeah, a new shop on Finchley Road. So I was like, yeah? And he goes, yeah, yeah. He goes, it's fucking really modern, man. Anyway, I go to Jocks and I said, there was always a thing with the old timers that you never opened near them that they would fucking do this retribution. Was there all another But old? I realised then 
two reasons. When Dennis Coppo opened his shop yeah. and Jock didn't close it down, I knew that he wasn't the guy that he was meant to be. Mm. You know? So he was saying to me, yeah, this fucking guy's open. He's got a big dragon painted on the window of the mm. shop. And that's so thinking wow I want to go there I want to see this fucking guy's shop so I'd got the book Skin Deep by Scott and Gotch and it had some of Dennis Cockle's work in it I found that his name was Dennis Cockle and you know I went down there his shop was so different from Jock's Jock's let me explain Jock would say to me is there anyone in the waiting room and when I lean out and see if anyone was there I'd go no he'd just get his cock out and piss in the sink you know this this kind of crazy crazy shit you know yeah. same needles for everyone he had a little thimble um, set into some kind of resin that he just used to fill up all the time with mm -hmm. his ink. It looked like a little volcano. You know, it was pretty, mm -hmm. pr pretty poor, the, the sort of hygiene and that. But don't get me wrong, it was a magic place as well. I can tell you, I'm going to do a book on Jock. So many tattooists worked there. Not for very long, mm -hmm. but so many went through there. He was a very um, amicable sort of man, an intelligent man. Um, and kind of like a people magnet, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and some funny things about Jock, is another funny little thing with all this. So I started to correspond with Ed Hardy quite a bit. And uh, for some mad reason, we said that we were uncle and nephew. So all the letters that we used to write, mm -hmm. he'd sign it from Uncle Ed and I'd sign it from Nephew Lau. So people thought that we were related. Yeah. And there's a funny story about this. I'm going to save the free tattooist the embarrassment mm -hmm. by naming them, all right? Mm -hmm. But three tattoo artists came to work at my shop from America and I let them stay at my house. And it was at the time when all Ed Hardy clothing was very popular. Yeah. And I happened to go past the TK Maxx store and it had the most over-the-top man's dressing gown in there. It was black, black and yellow velvet with a big bulldog on the back, you know, the big Ed Hardy bulldogs, yeah. and on the sleeves and that. So in the morning, they were all sat in the room we're in here now. I came in wearing this dressing gown. So they're all just like, hey, <laughs> look at you, man, wearing Ed Hardy. Oh, you fucking sellout. I can't believe you, you know. No, it's just like, what? And they're like, yeah, look at you, trying to be trendy with your Ed Hardy stuff. Mm. And I said, uh, Ed Hardy's my uncle, and you're in my house, and you're fucking disrespecting my family. So they were less like laughing, going, fuck off, you're talking shit. But because I told you before, I keep everything. Yeah. Every letter you I've got, got from letter, Ed, yeah. every drawing, everything, I've got them all in a folder, a big folder, see-through mm -hmm. folder. I went upstairs, I come back, I said, look at all these letters. Of course, every one of them signed Uncle Ed Uncle to Ed. nephew Lau. Right? <laughs> these three guys, they were so they embarrassed, they were just like, Oh man, why didn't you tell us? Why didn't you tell us? It was Dude. fucking great, man. I was just watching the ground, eating them up, eating them up. And then afterwards, I, got, I just said, you fucking idiots. It's just a joke. You know? awesome. So anyway, by this time, I was tattooing out of, out of my kitchen still, kitchen wizard. But you've got to understand, I met Ed Hardy. I met Dennis Cockle. I met fucking Felix Lou. It's all kind of now, those names are legendary. Also, I forgot to say that one of my greatest friends, George Bone, mm -hmm. he'd been tattooing me. George done like unbelievable colour work, do you know what I mean? And, and still does. He's in his 70s, still doing fantastic Japanese work. So there was all these crazy things were happening 
And then Dennis said to me, uh, you know, we're going to go to America. Ed Hardy's putting on an expo, Queen Mary Expo. And it was just like, really? He goes, yeah, we're going to go to LA. We're going to stay on the Queen Mary. We're going to check out this tattoo convention. Was it 81, 82? Uh, that was um, 82, Queen Mary, yeah. Yep. So... There'd been a couple of little conventions in England, nothing too much, but man. You've never seen anything like it. So by this time, apart from the Teddy Boys, punk rock had come along. Yeah. Boy, skinhead, two-tone, everything. I got a bit of a reputation because of tackling all the different subcultures. Mm -hmm. I was the go-to guy for that. So. I remember I had this little photo album just of taken with an SLR camera, not even particularly good, but I've lots of the band logos and everything. Ed was Ed was just like saying to me, man, this is so radical, so different. But in America, Bob Roberts and Leo Zulueta were doing that, you know. Yep. But in England, I kind of have done a bit of it. And he asked me, I remember, he, in the first edition of Tattoo Time, there was a tattoo of a punk girl on a guy's neck that I did I swear to you I did that of a single needle it was one needle straight onto a needle bar not even support needles but it was by pure luck that it came out looking any good mm. and you ended up in there it ended up in there so for me that was just like a massive like you know amazing this is a bit of a, a way to push you forward so he then said would you write an article on punk rock tattoos for uh, a future issue of it which I did in the music edition of it but anyway I went to America with Dennis and they did a big banquet and they, I was on the top table with these guys and I just felt like a real charlatan you know Ed introduced me saying this guy's do it Ed, Ed actually is why I call my shop New Wave he said to me once you're doing a new wave of tattooing mm. I'm going to call my shop that anyway I was at that Queen Mary convention man there was Bob Roberts Greg Irons, the Dutchman, um, Ed, Pete Stevens, just all these, Leo Zulueta, man, it was just unbelievable. And I just thought, wow, we're so primitive in England mm. compared to what they're doing to in America, guys, yeah. you know? Seeing Cliff Ravens were, Robert Benedetti, all these guys. So we came back and my head was full of everything, do you mm -hmm. know? And then Dennis was saying about doing a proper apprenticeship with him. And for, for reasons, it didn't ever happen. You know, he took someone else on. Probably I hesitated too much about paying the money or yep. whatever. Because at the time it was, a, it was a lot. Although really, when you look back at things, it would yep. have been an investment. I didn't really fall out with him, but it, it changed a little bit. It made me more determined to succeed for myself, do you know? Mm. It was like a kick in the bollocks from your best mate, really. Yeah. So I was still friends with George and a few others, and Lionel Titchener had set up the Tattoo Club of Great Britain. They were doing a few conventions. Jeff Baker was doing the European Tattoo Artists Association meetings. So I started to go to a few meetings, tattooing people. Um, and then something really, really happened that just changed a lot in my world, tattoo-wise. 
a guy called Panda. He's, he's dead now, but he was coming to me for tattoos. I'd done a Hydra snake on him, and really, it wasn't. It was a pretty primitive tattoo when I look back at it. You know, I'm not the. If I'm really honest, I'm not the most gifted natural artist. Mm-hmm. And I mean, nowadays, you know, you can go online, you can manipulate yeah, stuff. But it was yeah. it was different back then. That's why a lot of the old school stuff is so simplistic in its approach. Anyway. This guy came in and he said, uh, he goes, I was up in Reading, there's a guy called Ian of Reading, and uh, he said he's fucking sick of hearing your name because you're no good at tattooing or something like that. Okay. And it was a bit, little bit. Yeah. I thought, wow. So I gave this guy an envelope of photos. I said, next time you're in Reading, go and drop these into the guy and show him this is what I'm, do- this is what I'm doing or trying to do, you know? So the next thing, he comes back with this pile of photos. He said, oh, mate, he said, thanks, this is what he's doing. I looked at his photos, mate, I wanted to fucking throw all my machines away. Ugh. I just thought, this guy's, wow, his work is so advanced. Mm. He's just like, man, I can't fucking believe it. Anyway, that came to a turning point of, do I feel resentful towards this guy, or do I actually embrace what he's doing and fucking go and meet the guy? Yep. And I went to meet him and formed a friendship with him and had some of the greatest times ever going to conventions with him, working with him, watching how he works. He is probably the Ed Hardy of British tattooing of England, yeah. in what he created. That guy could fucking do a back piece freehand, he could do portraits, he could he could do so much. I mean, anyone who's seen his huge, big visionary pieces will know. You know, I mean, to me, Ed Hardy is the godfather of tattooing in my world, and Ian of Reading comes a close second. Um, sadly, in Ian's Ian's life, things happen where his shop was taken by the uh, bailiffs and that, and and people broke in, stole all his mm. stuff. Do you know what I mean? But it, so many people were around in that. In the, in the early 80s will tell you of his influence you know would you say that those two people are the ones that push you the most to try it's, new things and it's funny really because I started to realise that I mean I can remember with Ed Ed became the go to guy and I, I had a few conversations with him and it must have been overwhelming for him because everyone wanted a piece of him mm-hmm. and I can remember somebody saying, oh, you know, uh, Ed did this tattoo, it wasn't, it wasn't the visionary piece that I wanted or whatever. And I was just like, you know what, people start to get fucking unrealistic expectations of people, yeah. you know. Tattooing is tattooing. Became a myth. You know, almost, yeah. um, and so that was happening with Ed. With Ian, at the same time, I started to be in with a few other people, Brenton Dunstable and his partner at the time, Dawn, he was doing some interesting work. Mickey Sharps, everyone knows about Mickey Sharps' machine. Fucking Mickey Sharps could do such big, bold, colourful tattooing. Unbelievable. Mm. Unfucking believable. Louis Malloy, Tony Clifton, Kevin Shercliffe. Those guys were in Britain. I went to the expo, as I say, 1982. Then I went to the first Zurich Tattoo Convention. Then I went to, not the first Amsterdam one, because that was a bit earlier, but the one in the 80s, which is really the first big one at the Paradiso, yeah, the Hanky yeah, Panky yeah. put on. Went to that, worked there. Then 
in England we had Lionel's conventions and Jeff Baker's ones, but they weren't open to the public. They weren't a big scale thing. Mm. So myself, Ian Redding, Brent, John Williams, Mickey Sharps, a guy called Rick Mohawk, and a guy called Tony Tidridge, we all got together and we put on the first big London tattoo show, big London tattoo show at the Hammersmith Palais. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, then they said they were going to close the Hammersmith Palais down, so we're looking for a new venue. And in 1987, we, we got what was called the Queensway Hall in Dunstable. Mm -hmm. Everyone back in the day knew that Dunstable was the greatest tattoo convention. And you know, it cut the ground. All the conventions now, I don't care what people say, you're bigger than saying that. It captured people's imaginations because it was in a small little town, but it had lots of hotels there. Mm -hmm. So people go and stay there. This building that it was in, it's a supermarket now, pulled down. Famous bands played there, loads of famous bands. It was a purpose-built complex, you know, built by the council. It had yep. restaurants in it, it, had bars in it, car parking. Tattooing was really gathering speed by this time, do you know? And people started to go there. Man, Horiyoshi came there. Horiyoshi came in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> and then Bernie Luther, I can remember. This guy was going to me, fuck, man, you've got to see this guy's work, yeah. you know? Klaus Foreman was there. Yeah. So... Marco Leone, Marco Pisa, suddenly all these names that we start to know now, everyone started to, that was the, the, the big ball that started rolling, yeah. you know? Yeah. So it's a bit like pushing a little snowball down the side of a mountain, it just gathers speed, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And that's where Tatooine's come to now, you know? The snowball hasn't fucking hit a rock and broken yet. You would say that's the time that kind of like started pushing the English, like the British? I think, I think there's, you know what there's so many if opening we, it up like yeah but if we were to be able to make a timeline say from say from 1980 as a start point coming up to now there's been so many things you know people never thought that the Iron Curtain would collapse mm -hmm. you know we never really saw much tattooing from Eastern Bloc countries yeah. now look at it you know the Polish mm -hmm. realism black and grey was their thing yeah. first now we're seeing like in China Taiwan, Korea, saw that. Korea. <clears throat> you know, it, it, and one of the funny things about tattooing is now, from when I started with such little bits and pieces mm -hmm. that, you know, for reference and that, now everything's there on the internet. For tattooing, it's a really good time because there are so many fantastic artists out there. And Mickey Sharps had said something once, he goes, when there's a tattoo studio on every street corner, it'll be better for the trade. Mm. because people will have to step up to the to the Brilliant, plate yep, you know yep. and I know myself you know as an old timer now I still love trying to learn new things um, I love having all the guys at my shop I love it when you know different guest artists come through I get a, I still get an immense satisfaction from seeing work that you know is being created by people that I'm friends with or people that have come to work with me or yep. for me um, and how you can all feed off of each other and sometimes it's nice when the younger kids if there's a little bit of a problem because age and experience can be able to let you impart advice mm -hmm. to them mm -hmm. and then it's equally nice when you're watching them do something and you say hey how the fuck did you do that you know you know yeah. what I what I've seen regarding this that because I, I travel so much and I meet so many people and I think the biggest lesson you get from the from the big names that manage to reinvent themselves 
like people I work with is when you see the the lack of ego compared to be like oh you know what I've been tattooing for 35 years and you for five what needle do you use on that one you know and you're like what you asking me this you know yeah, yeah, yeah. and the, but but that's the difference between the one that keep staying at the top and the ones that stay behind because like oh I know it all already you know well I like personally um, you know within the tattoo trade if there's if, if there's a way that I can help people and I don't say this in a nasty way but that I think deserve helping mm-hmm. or that it's going to be beneficial for them to be together I like to get hookups going yeah. I like to you know I, listen I'm not the greatest tattooist in the world and we're all human and we've all got faults and that and in the past I've probably been a bigger arsehole than I've ever been but I kind of I really love the trade and I like to be able to see things progressing in it and I, I, I get a, a, a you know great satisfaction from seeing projects realised you know because mm-hmm. like, even with the doll project yeah. it was such a cool idea and you yeah, know it's, um... it, and you know it was really difficult because like sometimes you know you overcommit yourself or you you know maybe as I said not the greatest artist in the world I, I try and do things the way that I do them but when I saw all the different dolls it was just so fantastic to see the vision that mm-hmm. people had the people some, had. some of them you know you could see just they've gone so far away from the doll but using the doll yeah. if that makes sense yeah. you know yeah because the, the, the old idea is what I love is that almost everybody apart from like three people which Emma is one of them they loved it but everybody when I meet them they're like dude I hated it you know and I made myself like seven times you know because I do it I send it I do it mistake but what I like is the whole idea behind was like okay you know what I'm gonna get you uh, out of your comfort zone and, and use your creativity because you have craftsmanship and you have creativity and you have skills but apply to something you're not comfortable with and see how you interpret it yeah. And people, like you say, transcended the medium and came up with stuff. They're like, whoa, you know. Yeah, really... I mean, the ta- the tattoo world in the past. It's there's there's a couple of things that people nowadays won't understand, and that is suppliers did not want to sell tattooing equipment mm. in the yeah. past only to tattooists. Yeah. In a free market, it makes no sense. Yeah. You know, when the tattoo magazines had no advertising in them. Yeah. And then I remember when uh, International Tattoo Arts started to do it. I remember writing a letter to Chris Fouts um, and just, just saying, yeah, does the experience come in a separate carrier bag? Yeah. You know, But that's how it was then. People were fiercely defendant, uh, defensive of their territory. Um, people were scared that other shops would open up. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I know old timers. Yeah. If somebody opened 20 miles away from them, they'd yeah. go turn up there. You fucking opened on my doorstep. <laughs> You know, 30 kilometers away from yeah. where they were it just yeah. doesn't make any sense but um, I th- the only thing nowadays is is, is it going to get to a point where because there are so many people that see tattooing as a market and lots of entrepreneurs and that that the saturation point of everything from colors machines I mean how many fucking pen machines are there going to be now? Mm. How many rotaries? How many coil machines? I say that, but I still buy them anyway. But mm. it's just, you know, I saw a great thing this morning on Instagram. A guy had got six different blacks, and five years ago tattooed him in his leg. 
he put them as a little square boxes and he wrote A and what they were okay. next to them. So uh, different dynamic, brands. Different yeah. brands. Every one of them's healed exactly the same. Every single one of them. That's a living experiment. That, yeah, that's uh, brilliant. I mean, the old time tattooists, they all used to try their needles out on themselves, mm -hmm. colours on themselves, you know. Yeah, yeah. All old tattooists had a little space on them, the colours. Uh, going back to right in the early days, there's a shop, it still exists. For anyone who's in London, mm -hmm. they need to just look up, just off of New Oxford Street, is a shop called Corneliuson's. Mm -hmm. It used to be in Covent Garden, but now it's just off of New Oxford Street. This shop is where George Burchett and other tattooists used to get their pigment from. They still got all the original old jars of stuff in there. It's like oh. an antique art shop. Yeah. Still sells all art equipment. Yeah. But years ago, I remember this tattooist, he said to me, I saw a bottle of Listerine in his, in his studio, and I thought, and it smells like colours. So now I know what they mix their colour with, Listerine. Mm. And then one day he said to me, listen, if you go to Corneliuson's, you can use brown, yellow and green from there. He told me what wants to get. I went in there, they weighed it into little bags, yeah. into tiny little bags. Man, can you believe that? That was, to find that knowledge was so important. People will never understand what it was like. You used to get green ink, or blue ink, and you mm. could not fucking get it to go in the skin. Yeah. It wouldn't go in there. You're like, what? Somebody said, just put two drops of washing up liquid in it. Watch how it goes in the skin. How did anyone ever find that out? How the fuck did they find out? Trial and error. Right? <laughs> then I used to say, okay, if you've been using brown, uh, sorry, been using green or blue, and you can't get it out the tube in mm. the needle, fill a pot up with brown run it in the brown, in the water, in the brown, in the water. Mm. The oxide in the brown pulls the pigment out, the dark pigment, so you're free to then go and use your, you know, your, your brighter pigments. Just little secrets. Man, you know, yeah. like making needles, you know. Yeah. God, what a shit job it was. I can remember thinking that's going to be, if ever they make pre-made needles, I'm going to hate it. It's the last skill of a tattoo artist, you mm. know, to make your own needles. Mm. Despite the fact you've got a hangover and you've stolen your co-worker's needles or whatever. Suddenly, I can remember the first needles, pre-made needles I bought were thirty-five pounds a box. Thirty-five pounds a box, fifty euros a box in the nineteen nineties. How fucking expensive is that? Super expensive. But I used them, and I thought, my God, they're all perfect. Yeah, they're all perfect. Now there's so many different types of needles. Your mind is blown away with it. Yeah, all. yeah, yeah. Ranging from super cool ones to absolute shit, you yeah, know. Yeah. The trouble is, if you don't know the difference between shit and cool, what's going to happen with your tattooing, you know? Yeah. What would you say? Because you you said that those years were the most formative, right? Yeah. What would you say that it, that are the things that you learn the most in those years and be like, okay, those things or this thing is the one that I carried with me and is absolutely one of the most important learning moments I had. Well, there were so many things within those years that, you know, we're sitting here talking and it's trying to put everything into a chronological order. But so many things. One of them was, you have to understand that until fucking Rock Hudson died of AIDS, nobody wore gloves. Yeah. No hygiene was a really like on the back burner for a lot of people. Even though some of us thought we had hygiene, like I used to scrub my toothbrushes out, uh, sorry, I had my needles out of a toothbrush yeah. and disinfectant. I did have an autoclave. I got an autoclave um, when I went to see Dennis Cockle 
back in, in the 1980s, my girlfriend was getting tattooed. He made me wait in the waiting room. I saw him get this package. And I thought, he's got a fucking syringe. He's going to inject my girlfriend. I nearly punched the door down. He opened the door. He goes, what's wrong? I goes, what, what, the, what are you fucking doing with my girlfriend? And he opened it. And it was a needle mm. and a tube. Mm. I thought it was a syringe. Never <laughs> seen one before. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. Yeah. I swear. He probably has forgotten that. He must have thought, this guy's a mad. He's crazy. Anyway, you know, then he was explaining about hygiene to me. Mm. So... He t when I started tattooing, he told me where to get an autoclave from, right? I'm going to tell you a great story. This is, I swear this is true. So I get this autoclave from a company in Blackpool, and it's delivered to Euston train station in a massive big box. It looked like a small steam train, <laughs> right? This big, big chrome thing. Now, my shop at the time, if anyone goes there now, it's on two floors. It's got a kitchen out the back. It's got everything. But I just rented a room within that. So I had no bathroom, no kitchen, nothing. In the winter, it was bleak and cold, man. Just, there was nothing around. The next door was a fucking ice cream factory. You know, what good's that to a man if you're hungry? So I'm watching the television, and they showed you how to cook a fish okay. in, a, in a dishwasher. All right. You wrap the fish up in foil. In a dishwasher. In a dishwasher. And the hot water, the hot water is Steam so it. hot in the dishwasher, it cooked the fish, right? So I thought to myself, you know what? You must be able to cook in an autoclave hmm. because it's like a steam yeah. pressure. Yeah. So I got some lamb chops, took them to work, wrapped them up in foil, put them into the autoclave. <laughs> autoclave, yeah. Round it. Mate. What happened? Mate, it was just like all the fat melted, oh. leaked out of the thing. Fuck. Every time you put the autoclave on, it smelled like It smelled meat. like a fucking meat factory. It was like, fuck, I've ruined the autoclave. Kids don't do it at home. I've got to buy a new autoclave. <laughs> so there, there were those things. But then, as, as I was saying, you know, um, I did have an autoclave. A lot of really well-known tattooists didn't because they didn't understand about it. Mm. Then we'd started to put on Dunstable Tattoo Expo. A company called uh, Thames Valley Medical were going bankrupt or something happened with them. They came to see me and Ian and they said, we've got these warehouses full of rubber gloves and medical supplies. If you want to buy them off as cheap, I don't know quite how it all happened. But that is how we first got rubber gloves. Hmm. And I can remember the first time I wore them after I tattooed somebody, I looked along the heel of your hand hmm. for all the blood and ink on there. I thought, fucking hell, man. Oh. People yeah. have been... If you, you know, th this is a sobering thought for people. Imagine that you were tattooed all day, and some people never wash their hands. Yeah. You know, and that that made me so paranoid about everything. And I'm going to say one thing on here now. If you're at a tattoo convention mm -hmm. and you're in the toilet and you're having a piss, wash your fucking hands afterwards, because I was in a, a convention and a guy had a piss turned around and went to shake hands with me. I was just like, whoa, oh. step back, bro. But no, the hygiene aspect of things, that was a big game changer. Yeah. One of the other things that happened was, and as I said, you know, for a lot of people they probably don't even understand what I'm rambling on about, was the fact that we used to mix our own colours mm -hmm. and then suddenly PDP came along, mm -hmm. predispersed pigments. Yeah. People hadn't seen this before, you know. Mm -hmm. And I can remember we got these pigments from America and squeeze them out, tattooed them onto people. 
and they'd be so bright, unbelievable. But if you spill any, you could peel it off like it was rubber mm. off your work area, mm. you know? I started to do some research into it. I found out it was actually the ink that they print on bags that go into freezers. So if you buy a bag of peas, mm -hmm. and you've got a picture of a peas on the front, yep. or beans, yeah. because that's going into an extreme temperature, and then it comes out and it defrosts, if you like, there has to be an elasticity mm -hmm. for the ink. So we were actually tattooing people with ink that was made for printing onto freezer bags, hmm. you know? That's one of the crazy things that, that you know, people now, we have all colors that are, that are FDA approved or yeah, EU yeah, approved. Yeah. You know, a lot of it was trial and error back then. Yeah. And with the predisposed pigments, one of the things we did find, the same as black concentrates, was that sometimes you got what they call creeping under the skin, you know, where the ink sort of is like a capillary action under the skin, you mm -hmm. get a glow of the mm -hmm. ink around it. They, all, all these things were like, you know, now I, I don't think there's quite as many obstacles to overcome because it's been done before for people, you know? Yeah. And that's what I'm saying, with tattooing now, wh where, where do we go with tattooing from here? Are they gonna be able to produce metallic colors? I don't think so because I remember a guy came to me, he said, I, you know, I want a, a gold tattoo. And I tried to explain to him, you know, if you've mm -hmm. got an object made of gold and you've got light reflecting off of it, it looks yeah. like that. This guy was so insistent that he got some gold powdered down to a fine powder. He did. I suspended it in glycerine okay. and tattooed it into him. And it just came out looking fucking rubbish, you know. Mm. But all, all those little things, and every, all the old timers would have stories about experimenting with stuff and what would work and what wouldn't work you know present day we've got to say hygiene's the best it's ever mm. been colours greatest they've ever been machines needles everything but where is tattooing going to go from here I mean even procreate is so important iPads mm. you know I fucking love iPad yeah you know lots of people are reluctant they say oh it's taking away the skills and that but in some respects you can, it's so versatile, you can do so much with it. Tattoo Smart, amazing company. But now, you can go to get their brushes where you can just print out designs. I think, you know what, like, I think, and I see this from Instagram as well, from comments of people and stuff, is that without that part that you mentioned where, you know, you have different degrees you know, through the different generations of like getting to those secrets. But without at least a little bit of struggle, it come, you don't have the appreciation. The appreciation of you know the journey so the, the the problem sometimes is that talking with some at least that's what i find talking with some young tattooers sometimes they they think that that's how it is because they don't know any any anything else you know so they think that oh that's how it is everything has to be given to me you know before you you your thinking was shifting towards oh okay that's how it is i have to earn it first you know so there is none of that so it's almost like oh why didn't I? Why didn't I get into that convention? And I'm like, do you know what it takes to get there? You know. You know, one of the interesting it's... things is uh, a tattooist called Phil Bond, mm. um, a really good tattooist down in Torquay in Devon. All his family are tattooists. He once said to me um, when I was younger, he said, "Do you do you ever lie in bed at night just fucking turning over in your head why a tattoo didn't come out right?" Now I I kind of felt I could. I know it sounds really mad, I knew exactly what he was saying, but I mm -hmm. thought it would be wrong to say yes, so mm. I said no. Okay. He went mad at me, he goes, well then you shouldn't be in tattooing, and it was too late to say, well actually I really do do yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it is true, 
I've, you know, I've done tattoos and just thought, why the fuck didn't that come out right? You know, for all the, for anyone who's made a mistake tattooing, mm. oh my god, that fucking realization when you're actually tattooing someone, and you realize you've, you know, because you, your mind sometimes, especially on complex designs, things can really get like. But you know what? Like people ask you all the time, so have you ever made mistakes and stuff? And I remember always this guy in Australia that I've been working with, I don't know how many, eight years, nine years, ten years ago, and he said to a tattooer that was working very good uh, girl uh, tattooing uh, she made a mistake so the customer had to come back to fix it. it was a script and she was freaking out and the guy was like listen the part of being a tattooer is this as well you know being a tattooer means the craftsmanship means solving problems not just like doing the perfect design you know yeah. like Horiyoshi said it Horiyoshi said mm. we're human we're not computers you know, humans make yeah. mistakes. Yeah. Um, I mean, for us in our studio, when people come to get script, we print it out. Mm. We make them read it, check it, sign for it to mm. make sure it's right. Because yeah. it is one of the things that it's very easy to get spent. Yeah, but you know, in, in general, whatever it is, like you're gonna make a mistake. It's like at the end of the day, I think it's like everything, like boxing. You know, it's not. It's not how many times you go down is how many times you get up because the one that can't get up then I tell you, you don't have the stuff of the champion you know what I mean so it's kind of like the same thing you need to learn I, I guess I'll tell, tell you a great story right yeah. the guys at my shop couldn't believe this and it is true and you know so this guy came to see me he wanted a dragon mm. in water on his arm so I knew that I could just do it free and you yeah. know anyway the guy's fucking moving around, jumping around, he can't get it finished, then he comes back. So it takes ages to do this, just to do the outline on this dragon. Anyway, you know, probably at the time I wasn't concentrating, whatever, I don't know. He then comes back to get it coloured in. So I do it all black and grey, and we decide to do the tail on the top of the arm in orange and yellow, so it shines out mm -hmm. through the water and that, you know. Then I go underneath his bicep, and I noticed there's a tail there as well. Oh. <laughs> so, I just uh, thinking, yeah, okay, so I color that one in. So the dragon has got two tails on it, but you can never see the two at the same time. Mm. One is on the outside, one's on the bicep. What did you tell him? I said to the guy, come to the mirror. I said, I've done a fucking great old school, you know, method on you. I said, put your arm down by your side. Now, when somebody looks at your arm, they see your dragon coming through the waves. They see that beautiful flash of orange and yellow of the tail. I said, but people always want to look underneath your arm. I said, so when you turn your arm like that, can you show the bicep? I said, they've done another tail there with it, gives the color in it. I said, because no two tails will ever be seen at the same time. The other guys <laughs> at my shop were fucking looking at me. They were just talking like, about. <laughs> you know, it's like my mate calls me Jason Bourne. Because the other week, I, when we were going through customs at the airport, I had much too much stuff in my fucking hand luggage. And I waited for some an incident to happen where the, this woman was pulling everyone over. Mm. And then as she pulled this guy over and had her back to me, I walked straight ahead and went through the thing. My mate was just like, fuck, he's got through to the other <laughs> side. Yeah. And then when we got to passport control, where I, I went and put my passport in my pocket and I fucking tore the, the strip that they read on it, you know? So when I get to immigration, mm -hmm. They're going to me, what's wrong with your passport? Why can't you get through? I go, I said, you know, 
at the other end, I see this stupid woman on the deck. She tore my passport. I saw her do it when she put the thing in too rough. So they were like, oh, God. <laughs> and, you went, and you went through? He calls me Jason Bourne. Yeah, he's awesome. but, but yeah, I mean, tat tattooing, as I said, is an absolutely amazing, fascinating art. The history of it, I mean, we could do fucking talk for hours and hours. Because you're a collector. Oh, yeah, you yeah. know, not... I, I'm a collector, but... A lot of the stuff now, I'm questioning why I've even got it. It's just stuff mm -hmm. I go and I've picked it up yeah. and I've put it places. But I have got some stuff that I think is really relevant. You know, I told you I've got a whole file of stuff from Ed Hardy from uh, sketches of tattoos he's done on me to the finished artwork, letters, um, you know, that, that he took the time to write. Mm. Um, Keizo Aguri in Japan. I mean, back in the day, we... we Corresponded, people corresponded by mail, you know, mm -hmm. with email, mm -hmm. it's instant now. Yeah, yeah. But I used to correspond with a guy called Des Connolly in Australia, Kazo Aguri. I've got, uh, Kazo Aguri used to send um, newsletters to me, um, you know, Horihidi Purple Smoke newsletters. Uh, I've got letters from him where he's saying how they hate the bastardized form that the Westerners do of, of Japanese work, mm -hmm. saying, you know, you should not put this flower with this element. This thing, yeah. um, Personally, back in the day, probably being a bit young and arrogant and stupid, I thought, why should we adhere to that? Tattooing's mm. a free spirit, you know, mm -hmm. so I don't care what flowers go with what. Yeah. Um, you know, and that, that's one of the things as you get older, I do look back at, I remember there was a big exhibition on um, Maoris mm -hmm. at the British Museum. Now, I had some copies of Maori heads, really good ones, offered to lend them to the museum, and they were really reluctant and really kind of dismissive. And, you know, I can remember somebody was doing an article with me and I was saying, you know, listen, this is history. You can't hide history, mm. you know? And at the time I was like, you know, these guys are using machines now. They're westernized machines. I've seen Maoris with western toes. I didn't realize the genealogy, the importance of the moco then, but now I can understand why they deemed it as disrespectful to put these on show, do you know what I mean? Yeah. So in, in tattooing, they're living and learning, I guess. Yeah, uh, you know, and, and that's the thing about life. You know, you constantly learn about things, you know. Um, and, yeah, it's just... Because, because of all the experience that you had, you know what they say, um, youth is wasted on the young. Yeah. Because of all the things you know now, what would you recommend to young tattooers? If I was to, if I was to recommend anything to young tattooers now... Mm. Uh, few things in the tattoo world and I'm going to say it now in the past I've done tattoos of a pornographic nature mm -hmm. I've done tattoos that probably politically would be deemed wrong mm -hmm. you know but when you're young your principles your beliefs your ideologies can be different from when you're older me personally I have to say tattooing is freedom of choice it's freedom of choice of the individual freedom of choice of the artist whether they wish to make that decision to do the piece but I find it very disturbing A, how much pornographic tattooing there is going on mm. now because I say to people when you see on Snake Pit a picture of somebody who's got a big cock hanging out of their fucking pants mm. right and it's got 10,000 likes or whatever it might be done beautifully you know or a bird licking another girl's arsehole when it's fucking like smacked on someone's chest it can be done fantastic yeah but if you were to walk around with pictures of that at a swimming pool, you mm. would be arrested because mm. children could see it. Now, people are putting this all over their bodies. It's their choice, and some of it's done amazingly, but you've got to question, 
is it morally right to do that? Facial tattooing is something that I've always been against. I've never done it. Mm. You know, I do feel that there's some stuff out there that's so wacky. Uh, I, I just wonder whether in the future some people may regret having it done. I can't say that they will because I can't see inside their heads. But my personal thing, I don't, I don't really like facial tattooing. I now would love to see tattooing where it's none of it is visible when you're wearing a suit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know the way that it used to be there was something there was something mad back in the day when if you got a glimpse of a tattoo mm. you'd think wow it was intriguing yeah. you know now yeah. people put it full on the throat no it's the opposite head. they start with hands sometimes and necks yeah it's know. like a guy came to me the other week it's and he said funny. I want to sleep I want to start with my hand and I just said if you went to a tailor's to get a suit made would you start with a glove no you fucking wouldn't yeah. you know and he probably thought what an old cunt yeah. I'm not getting tattooed by you but that's fine because I didn't want to do it anyway yeah. um yeah, it's only personal preferences. I mean, I had an argument with a guy about facial tattooing, uh, just why I don't do it. I said, you know, I just choose not to because when I first started tattooing, Jock told me to tattoo a guy's face. Mm. I said to him, I'm not tattooing this guy's face. So Jock did it. But at that time, I was also working in a psychiatric hospital called Coney Hatch Lunatic Asylum. Mm-hmm. And one day I went into a locked ward and that guy was in there that fucking guy was in there with the tattoos on his face. Now, I'm not saying that the tattoos put him in there, but there could have been a correlation, correlation yeah. between the two. So the, the guy that was saying to me, the, why wouldn't I do facial tattooing? He, he does. I said, because I've never, ever had a desire to do it, and I've never been that desperate for money that I would do that mm-hmm. to somebody. You know, I hate the fact they call it job stoppers. Fuck off calling it a job stopper, you know yeah. what I mean? It's fine in the tattoo world if you've got one because you can get away with it. But, you know, he said he was saying to me, oh, you're taking food out of my kid's mouth. And I just said, oh, yeah, fucking change the record, man, because if you can't make enough money mm. doing normal tattoos on mm. people. But that's just because I'm old school, you know. It, it, as I said, it's people's personal choice to do it. I choose not to do it. Yeah. Um, so I, getting back, because I just rambled off then, I'm going to tell any young fucking tattooer what to do. Don't think that the tattoo tree is going to bear fruit forever, mm. right? You're not always going to be able to pluck that fucking cash off of that tree. Things are changing in the world. We're changing into a cashless society. Mm. So you need to start fucking realising that all that money, because tattooers get paid every day normally in their mm. hands and that, you've got to start providing for a future, you know? The best advice I got when I fucking first started was, you know, try and buy your property, mm you know, and try and do things the right way. And for the, now, governments and that, you, you're gonna see how it's gonna happen. The governments are what can change tattooing by bringing in health laws, by bringing mm-hmm. in, you know, financial things. It's a great time to be in tattooing. Stay humble with it. Save, you know, invest for yourselves, for your futures. And for people getting tattooed, when people start going now, oh, you know, I'm not spending that on a tattoo or that, and it's a fair price you're giving. I always say, you know, this money you're spending, you're spending it on you, mm. not on me. It's for something for you. Yeah. It's, you know, so, um, but yeah, you know, it's, it's, I, I think a lot of people will drop out of tattooing. I think that it will slow down. It will always be there. People will always wanna, you know, be involved in it, but I think it will slow down. Some of the supply companies are gonna find that 
people find other ways of doing things. There's going to be a lot of undercutting going on. The fashion, fashion trend is going to change. You know? Yeah. I mean, it's like when punk came out, you know, when we were involved with punk, mm. the first wave of punks, they were making their own clothes. Some were buying from seditionaries and places, but loads of people were just making their own, just getting mm. an old jacket, ripping it, putting safety pins in. And suddenly companies started to manufacture it and punk became a uniform, Mohican haircut, mm. high leg Doc Martens, leather jacket. Um, then the media started to use tattooing, uh, sorry, use punk for advertising mm. and that, and it kind of diluted it a bit, you know? Yeah. And there's still punks around, but it's not got the same impact that it had back in 1976, 77. And with tattooing, you see it everywhere now. They just put, you see it now, tattoo mascara, tattoo this fucking tattoo that. <clears throat> it's it's kind of gonna take a bit of a drop. It's impossible to maintain it the way it is. You know, everyone's opening private studios. Tapping will have some highs and lows, but it's had them before. And if you're if you're astute enough to get through them, I lived through Margaret Thatcher's boom and bust, through fucking recessions. Yeah. You know what I mean? You, yeah. You know the 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 big thing for young tattooists don't spend more than you earn yeah let me ask you one last thing if you could go back with what you know now is there anything you would do different anything you would tell yourself to do different yeah I'd I'd go to art college yeah. for sure I'd <clears throat> probably try and take longer on each tattoo and because back when one of the interesting things going back 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 in the day I was a realistic tattoo, Ed Hardy's in Van Ness. And a guy came in saying he wanted this back piece. He explained it to Ed. And Ed just said, you should go and see Greg Irons. Mm. Now, in Britain at that time, if someone came in for a back piece, that would, rep that would have amounted to 10 sessions at this amount of money. That means that you're busy mm -hmm. for those 10 sessions. He wouldn't say, go to the tattooist down the road. Yeah. Ed did that. I just thought, wow. I cannot believe what this guy's done. Um, and I think, going back to Ed, a lot of the things that that man did, like when he did Tattoo Time magazine, that he featured people and that, kind of part of the stuff that I've done with the books that I've done, where I've been able to feature, you know, established artists, maybe some artists that haven't had publicity that they really deserve, and some of the new artists to give them a shout out. Mm. You know, I mean, I learned a lot from Ed Hardy just from seeing how the man was yep. and how his love and his promotion of the art was really important, you know. And there's a lot of people now that don't realise that there were people that went before them who if it wasn't for them, you know, we wouldn't be where we are now. And I really do think that Ed is the main man, mm. you know, when, when all the chronicles of Tatooine are written. Wow. And it, you know, the other thing that's really interesting is when we talk about people reinventing themselves and that I just love Horioshi, you know. Yeah. I love looking at yeah. how when he first started to what he does now. Yeah. To the fact that, you know I, I, it's kinda of weird because when you've been in the business a long time, when you've formed friendships with people and they go beyond the tattoo world it's it's different, you know. It's another level. I've done some mad things with Horioshi. He just, I just think it's my task to make him laugh and do stupid things when I see him. You know, we've had some really good times, and uh, the the business to me, 
I, I saw a thing the other day, a tattooist, it was on Facebook, definitely having, you know, kind of a problem with where he's going, direction, where tattooing's going and stuff like that. And somebody had put, oh, don't do a job for 40 years and call mm. it your life. Fuck that. Embrace it and go with the flow with it. This is a fantastic business to be mm. in. I've met the greatest people on earth through this business. I've been around the world with it. Had ups and downs, highs and lows. Do you know what I mean? And mm. Been through adversity, but it, it's just an amazing, an amazing trade. Where where can people find you? What's your the what's the best way to? Uh, so if anyone wants to get in touch with me, um, you can find us on Instagram either as New Wave Tattoo or as Lau Hardy, um, or www.newwavetattoo.co.uk. Um, you know, I love doing old school work and punk stuff. If anyone wants little souvenir pieces, I've got yep. a good crew of people at the shop. If if I'm at a convention or that, just come and say hi. I love talking to people, love meeting people. You know, and yep. so, as I said, I'm just a regular sort of person. You know, so always lovely to talk to people. Oh, thank you very much. Cool. It was an honor. Thank you all for listening. I hope you had as much fun as I had recording this episode. Stay tuned for the release of the new ones. You can follow the updates on Instagram page Tattoo Tales Podcast and on my personal one, Steph Bastian. Share if you liked it and remember that in September there will be the launch of my new project, the Tattoo Fun Club. I've selected over 200 artists, amongst the very best, to decorate Japanese paper fan, celebrating the old-timers that came before us and contributed to make tattooing what it is today. The artworks will be exhibited at the London Tattoo Convention 27, 28, 29 September 2019 and auctioned online afterwards to raise money for kids' charity. You'll be able to participate worldwide to acquire the unique originals of Philip Liu, Freddie Corbin, Juan Puente, Timothy Oyer, Oriyoshi III, and the list goes on and on. For details, check our Instagram page, Steph Bastian Presents. Have an awesome day.